Let us pray together. Dear God, we thank you for the sacred alchemy that happens when your holy word and the ever-changing circumstances of our lives and the guidance of your Holy Spirit all come together at once. There is a new and fresh transmission, transmission that brings our souls alive. And that's what we pray for today. Amen. The author Gregory Boyle has said that to follow Jesus is to have our image of God continuously transformed. To follow Jesus is to keep understanding more and more and more about who God really is, who God loves, and how God is at work in our world. Just ask Peter. <laughs> right before today's transfiguration story, Jesus asks Peter what may be the central question in his whole life. Who do you say that I am? And of course, Peter responds, you are the Messiah. But for Peter, this means a Messiah of nationalist power and exclusion and violence. And so when Jesus starts telling Peter about his coming suffering and death, Peter is shocked, enraged, and he rebukes his own teacher. He becomes apoplectic. I practiced that all week. <laughs> Put it on Google slow, apoplectic. Isn't that a lovely word? And then in response, Jesus says some of his strongest words to any person, any of his disciples ever. He says, get behind me, Satan. Why? Why do the stakes seem so high for Jesus? It's because religion that adopts the ways of the empire the upward climbing way of power, of violence, of dividing walls, of certainty and exclusion. This kind of religion is dangerous and toxic. Amen? And it's tearing apart our nation and our whole planet right now. And so, during this coming season of Lent here in our church, we're going to be walking alongside Peter to discover what kind of Messiah Jesus really is. A Messiah of the downward way of servanthood, of humble nonviolence, of reconciling love and awesome forgiveness. Here is 
The only kind of religion our world needs, religion that heals and saves and liberates. And I find it so fascinating that right after this very intense disagreement between Jesus and Peter, Jesus leads Peter and the two disciples up a mountain in Galilee so that prayer and contemplation and meditation with God can now begin to do their transformational work. We learn from another gospel, from the gospel of Luke, that it is while they are praying together that Jesus' face suddenly becomes radiant and his clothes dazzling white. Prayer and meditation don't get us brownie points with God. That's not what it's about at all. It's about being prepared to see at ever deeper levels. To see, to be able to see the depth dimension of reality. And it's now that the disciples on the mountaintop see Moses and Elijah speaking with Jesus. Isn't that interesting? Not David or Solomon, but Moses and Elijah. You see, David and Solomon are representatives of the royal way of power and wealth in the Bible. But Moses and Elijah represent prophetic critics of the empire, liberators of the enslaved, and bold defenders of the vulnerable. And now a cloud sweeps over the mountain. Here is the luminous presence that covered Mount Sinai, that filled the tabernacle, and later fills the temple in Jerusalem. And it's now in this cloud that the, dear, that the disciples hear God say about Jesus, this is my son, the beloved. This is my beloved child. And for a brief moment, the curtain is pulled back for the disciples. And they're given a glimpse of the fuller of identity of Jesus, divine glory shining through his humanity. It's a glimpse of reality beyond the usual limitations of time and space. They are discovering what we heard in 2 Corinthians today, that to look in the face of Jesus is to see the face of God. To look in the face of Jesus is to see the face of God. And then, still in the cloud, Peter, James, and John, and we too, hear our call to discipleship. 
God says, this is my beloved son. Listen to him. <laughs> Listen up. Follow him. Learn from him. Love like he loves. Pray like he prays. Walk like he walks. Center Jesus in your lives. Listen to him. And it's now that our dear Peter blurts out to Jesus, Rabbi, it's so good to be here having this mountaintop experience. Let's build three buildings here. Let's lock in the sublime. Let's make this moment last forever. (laughs) Have you ever felt the same way? Oh, I sure have. I think this is why we love Peter so very much. Because we often hear him saying what we say. Doing what we do. And during our whole coming season of Lent, we're going to be walking alongside Peter as he follows Jesus to the tomb, or to the cross, and to the empty tomb. Because just like Peter, don't we also want to hold on to our own mountaintop experiences with God? When we felt God's presence so clearly, so tangibly, maybe at a summer camp, maybe a retreat, or at convention. And we just hope that what we experienced in that moment can be the way that it will be from now on. I get what Peter is trying to do here. Because over the last decade, I've gone up the mountain seven times to a Trappist monastery in Colorado, in the Rockies. And during each of those 10 days of silence, I have experienced in some new way that love, capital L, is at the center of all things. And then every time I come back down the mountain, and I want to freeze that experience, lock it in, hold on to it forever. And you know, some of you know how this story ends, because that monastery in the last months just closed. So there's no going back, no locking in that experience. And I found the poet Christian Wyman very helpful here in reflecting on what we do with our mountaintop experiences after we come down the mountain to our daily lives. He says that true religion doesn't promise us endless mountaintop experiences, 
but helps us to live the rest of the time according to what we briefly glimpsed up on the mountain. I don't know if I made that clear. So what we experienced on the mount- mountaintop, we go down the mountain and try to live faithfully to what we experienced up there. The late Archbishop Desmond Tutu of South Africa takes transfiguration in a slightly different direction. And I'd like to close with this. Tutu, Bishop Tutu says that the whole point of the transfiguration story is showing us that the pattern in Jesus is meant that what we see and experience in Jesus, God intends us to apply to every human being. In other words, seeing God's presence shining in Jesus is meant to help us to see God shining in every person we meet. No one, Bishop Tutu says, is untransfigurable. Isn't that lovely? No one is untransfigurable. No annoying colleague, no challenging next-door neighbor, no estranged relative or child, no whoever it may be in our lives. God keeps whispering in our ear, this is my beloved child. And sometimes transfiguration happens in the most surprising places in our world. At the Grammys last Sunday, our nation was transfixed to see a queer black woman and a white male singer, Tracy Chapman and Luke Combs, singing a song together about belonging. Did any of you see that? Wow. And showing us once again that love and not hate is still our world's superpower. So friends, transfiguration is the invitation to return back down to our ordinary lives with the new ability to see God in Jesus and everyone we meet. It's the invitation to let our ordinary lives astonish us with the sacred. This city. This partner or spouse. This family. This church. Today, this congregational meeting. This life and no other. Down in the valley of our daily lives, to be able to say with Peter, it is good to be here, right now. I want this to be my life and no other. Amen.